and welcome to Alpha Pod Flight, the podcast where every episode I'm joined by a different guest to talk about a single issue of the comic Alpha Flight. Or in this episode's case, a comic where Alpha Flight are in it quite a lot. My name is Gareth A. Hopkins, and this week's guest is James Randolph. Randolph or Randall Plum? Uh, I mean, you're making it up, so go, go for whichever you want. I mean, I prefer, <laughs> I prefer Schindler, but... Um, <laughs> James yeah. Schindler Plum. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, and you've been on once before? I highly controversial episode was it yeah it was uh i've got to tell you i'll tell you about it another time um <laughs> <laughs> the good kind of controversy it had upsides and downsides <laughs> okay i thought i told you uh never mind no. um no. <laughs> so oh wait i've got to rewrite all of my notes right now <laughs> <laughs> um yeah uh before we get too far into the actual episode, um, I just need to take a quick moment to thank everyone who's been writing in um, and who I've been very bad at replying to. Um, He's like that in real life, though, so... <laughs> I really am. <laughs> um, but all the emails and messages that come in sort of fall into that. I want to give it a proper response, so I'll leave it until I've got time, but then never find the time. I mean, you've got two kids, so... I've got two kids and an art project and a job and, yeah, all sorts. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I should get better. So, first of all, thank you to um, Thomas, who uh, messages messages every now and again. Um, he messaged in after the uh, Volume 2 episode that we did with Tim um, to say that even bad Alpha Flight is good. Which, for the most part, is true. I think there is some terrible Alpha Flight, though, which goes against that rule. Um, <laughs> and um, also got an email the other day from a French artist called Greg Retty. I think I've pro- I'm going to assume that's how you pronounce it, because I'm English and I like to pronounce all the letters. Um, he um, agrees with the general consensus of the podcast that Aurora's accent is horrendous. I think he went as far to say as it made absolutely no sense from a like a realism point of view um and he also sent in some out al- he's um as i said he's an artist he sent in some alpha alpha flight fan art that he's been doing and it's really really good um you can f- I'll, I'll try and put some up on twitter um but if you go to gregory is um you can see his work there and it's, it's really good so i suggest you all go and have a look um, and then finally, um, a quick shout out to Alpha Talk at Alpha Talking on Twitter, who has sort of taken up the reins of talking about Alpha Flight in a, on Twitter in a way that other fans respond to positively, rather than how I talk about Alpha Flight online, which is nobody responds to me at all. So oh, yeah, uh, he's very sincere, and um, it's it's quite nice because I'm often not very sincere. I was going to say, sincere and Twitter go together? Okay. Um, well, yeah, for, for normal people who use Twitter, it does. Yeah. For, for losers like me, it doesn't. Um, right, so let's uh, crack on with the actual episode. Um, uh, it might be worth, at this moment, apologising for my recording quality, because I haven't got... I'm just really forgetful and forgot to bring everything home with me. So uh, hopefully it doesn't sound as bad as the John Byrne... Uh, I listened back to... The, uh, did you see we put a John Byrne uh, Q&A up that someone had recorded? Oh, I don't know. Um, and when I listened to it on my computer, it sounded brilliant. And then when I listened to it after it went up, it was really, really quiet. 
that, and that's not, it was Dave Cameron who who recorded it. It's not his fault. He was obviously just recording on a phone halfway down a busy convention room. But um, yeah, so hopefully you can hear me all right. If you can't, we just have to lump it. Um, here we go. We're going to talk about X-Men and Alpha Flight, number one of a two-part series. We're not going to talk about number two, which is actually going to make this one a little bit more difficult to talk about, but that's fine. Not for me. Not because you haven't read number two. I, you, yeah, I offered, but you said no, so... Well, cause, because it's it's a big old comic. It's 44, 46 pages? 47. No, I got, I, got, I got 47 on Comixology. Yeah. So um, I've got a print edition from back in when it was released mm-hmm. in 1985. Get you. Um, which, yeah. Uh, I also I should also say, if, we, if I'm going to do the giving people credit way, um, I was given this in trade by a friend of the show, even though he probably doesn't listen, Pete Hindle. He, sent, he just like, sent me some old Marvel comics he didn't, uh, some Marvel graphic, graphic novels he didn't want, and this mm-hmm. is one of them. Um, so yeah, I actually read this before I'd read most of Alpha Flight. So um, yeah, that's just a little fact that nobody cares about. I care, Gareth. Good. The creative team on this was Chris Claremont, Paul Smith and Bob Wycheck were the artists, Tom Orzakowski was the letterer, Glynis Oliver was the colorist, Anne Nascenti and Denny O'Neill were the editors, Jim Shooter was the editor-in-chief, and it was based on a premise by Jim Shooter and Nascenti and Denny O'Neill. Um, interesting fact, John Byrne was originally going to do it, but then had to pass because he didn't have time. So, Ooh, okay. That's why I've got Paul Smith on it. Um, okay, so what we'll do is what we normally do, which is go through the comic, and then we'll talk about what we liked and what we didn't. It is a long comic, though. So, it gets a lot shorter. Sorry? There's a lot of filler in this comic. It is a Chris Claremont comic as well, so it takes longer to read just because there's so many words in it. Um, you get your money's worth. You do, yeah. I think this is the first time we've done Chris Claremont on the podcast as well, though. So oh. that, that's exciting. Um, okay, so, yeah, you crack on with what happens in the comic. Okay, do you want, like, a brief synopsis? Yeah, kind of. Just um, they're on a plane. We meet the other people on the plane, this bunch of strangers. Yeah, except, of course, there is, you know, uh, Scott Summers, formerly of the X-Men, Yeah. Uh, now apparently uh, running flights, which I, I I didn't remember him doing this. Like, in, in yeah. I, I left the X-Men for a while. Yeah, so this is after um, Jean Grey died. Yeah. He decided he had enough of being an X-Men, so he found a woman who looked exactly like Jean Grey, called Very Beth Fryer. Very healthy. And, um, yeah, just started doing commo- um, freight flights. So I see, I, I've got, like, like I kind of came to, I was much more of a X-Men fan back, mm. you know, when I was, like, hardcore into comics and reading them, like, you know, floppies at the time. And I remembered him being on a boat, but I didn't remember him doing the flights. Did, did he? that as well. Oh, oh okay. Um, I think that was before the flights. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I can't I, remember. It was like, you know, he was brooding for a lot of the 80s. He's been brooding since he came along. Yeah, but like mourning slash brooding, you know, grieving. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it wasn't until I was a grown-up that I sort of 
got who Cyclops was as a character. Because until I was a grown-up and had shared some of his like genuine disgust at humanity, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought, who is this grumpy but bastard just like wandering around being so mopey about everything? God. Yeah. And then you sort of grow up and you, you sort of realise a little bit where he's coming from. Yeah, when you realise you can't actually be Wolverine, then, yeah. Yeah. You have to kind of just accept that you are a Scott Summers in a world of Wolverines. <laughs> um, uh, so, yeah, so he is running charter flights. Uh, the pilot is Madeline Pryor, who is a human rather than an X-Man uh, and... But she does look a lot like Jean Grey on purpose. Um, and well, then, not, on, not on her purpose. I mean, it's not like... On the writer's oh, purpose. What yeah. a way to, to snag a, a boyfriend is to dress up like his dead... Wait, were they... Were they? Did they get married? No, they got married after, didn't they? Uh, Jean Grey and Scott yeah, Summers. So, I think it was afterwards. Yeah, so to snag a husband, you know, model yourself directly on... I mean, she wasn't going for that. No, well, no, it's not... Yeah, let's <laughs> let's not get too hung up on Madeline Pryor because uh, I can't remember how that storyline resolves itself anyway. So um, Scott and Madeline are running these flights and they have some archaeologists on board. A weird bunch of archaeologists. One's an architect who's an archaeologist. One is a cook who isn't an archaeologist. One is a botanist who's an archaeologist. And uh, then there's a couple of racists in the back. Uh, sorry, not racists, anti-mutant people. And then there is a very well-learned, uh, like, cargo-lifting man who's really tall, who stands at the back. Yeah, that's he, he talks about how much he likes reading. Yeah. yeah. Drops in a couple of references, you know, just so uh, Chris Claremont makes it clear that, you know, hey, kids, read this book and then yeah. this comic will make more sense. Yeah. It's kind of like when I when I do art and like constantly reference like literature stuff that I've read that I don't don't think everybody else has read. It's just to make me look cleverer. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. It, it doesn't work. No, I know. Okay. Um, but I'm really pretentious, so I do it anyway. Yeah. 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 So after we oh sorry so they find the the plane and then they get some turbulence, but it turns out not to be turbulence. It is a blinding light. And they disappear. Uh, and then we go to uh, Salem Centre, uh, which is a town. And we see Doug Ramsey. Sorry, you should be doing this. This isn't my job. I was going to say, wasn't, isn't this my bit? I mean, Sorry, it is. Carry on. No, that's quite all right. Well, I mean, to be fair, like the next few pages, not having read issue two, like we spend a lot of time with Doug Ramsey and Ileana, yeah. uh, who don't appear or kind of have any bearing on the story that we're about to read. So it is like... <laughs> no, I don't think they do either. <laughs> it's, do they appear in issue two? Does it all get wrapped up? Because, it, it, you know, you pretty much could skip, like, you know, at least a page and a half. And boom, suddenly we're, you know, thankfully at, at the danger room again. Um, I'll tell you what, I will um, flick through... Part two, and I'll tell you if either of them turn up. I don't think they do, but uh, I'll have a look in case. Okay. Uh, yeah, you, you, you tell everyone what happens in the danger room. Right, so we, we turn up to the danger room, um, and Rachel Summers, the alternative universe daughter of Scott Summers and Jean Grey, 
has a little freak out because she senses her alternative universe daddy is in trouble. Um, and so her freak out then kind of sets off the danger room. I, I mean, which seems to happen a lot from memory uh, of reading the X-Men is the, the, the danger room is really quite dangerous and, and not in a, in a safe training health and safety kind of way. Yeah. Um, so yeah, um, <laughs> which, which then involves, yeah, lots of fighting things are resolved. Uh, professor X, who's looking really old, really, really old in this. I was surprised to ever see him this old. It is, um, again, kind of, um, jumps into the mind of Rachel and kind of chills her out, which again, in the, the, the me too world that we're living in now, it's kind of like, Oh, it's a little bit dodgy. It's a bit weird, but then actually if we pick at that, then that's kind of professor X's whole thing through, what are we now? Like 50 years of X-Men comics. Yeah. Yeah. Let's, let's not explore that too, too much. Um, she then, yeah, has a flash where she kind of, because in the opening scene, uh, Scott Summers is daft enough to actually kind of reference that something similar to this happened when we first encountered Alpha, Fl- Alpha Flight. That's enough for Rachel Summers to go fight Alpha Flight in the best let's fight and then team up way ever. Yeah. That, that always happens in, in especially like 60s, 70s and 80s comics. Oh, and 90s comics as well. I think. Yeah, it still happens now. Yeah. Really? Oh my. Yeah, I think it does. Uh, yeah, so I mean, the newest comic I've read was Champions twenty one, twenty two, which we we talked about on the podcast, and that happens there. Alpha Flight and the Champions have a fight, and then realise they need to team up, so they team up. It's ah uh, no, okay, I'll, I'll save that for the bits I do not like <laughs> section. Uh, so yeah, so anyway, we we jump over and we meet uh, Alpha Flight in in this uh, two issue mini series. Um, I, 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 to be honest, this is less awkward of way introducing the characters than we had with the X-Men, at least. Uh, you know, they kind of get going straight away, um, and you get a good idea of everybody's power sets and kind of like the character relationships with them, like yeah. Aurora and Sasquatch and everything, and that's handled quite nicely. I, because it'd been a while since I'd read uh, a lot of Alpha Flight, it was nice to be kind of reminded of the the kind of the weird split personality stuff of Aurora. And I thought that was actually, yeah. As as clunky as it is in the comics, it was a quick, uh, like a shortcut way to introduce the the issue with that character anyway. Um, And then, yeah, so we we have a great fight. Uh, We see Professor X in an X-Men costume, which I don't ever remember seeing. He he could walk for a while. I can't remember how, but yeah, yeah, he could walk. But I mean, that did happen on and off for a while. Um, but I, 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 like, like, I remember, like, when I was reading it in the 90s, it was after, like, one of the massive crossovers they did with all the Xboxes, and he was walking for a few issues again before they stuck him back in the chair. Yeah. But I'd never seen him in an X-Men costume. And, um, yes, that was a special thrill. Um, anyway, so they, they, they eventually start talking after, after fighting. Again, Professor X kind of, uh, calms. Rachel down uh, on the astral plane, if you like. Yeah, it's yeah. kind of weird. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we uh, once once they start to kind of resolve it and decide, hey, let's let's team up. We then jump over to see uh, to meet Loki and. Um, ooh, let me oh no! <laughs> Sorry. Yeah. yeah. <coughs> While well, I cough my way through this next sentence, mm. 
um, one of the things which happened was that Snowbird had turned up all bad, all out of shape, yeah. and dying. Um, but we don't know why yet. So that was that was something that we that is it becomes important in issue two. Oh, good. Because yeah, in issue yeah. one, it's kind of like, oh, okay, and we will. I mean, this is she doesn't really appear late um, anymore in this issue. So she just gets okay. iller and iller and iller throughout the issue. Awesome. I'm, I'm yeah. glad that that does pay off. Um, anyway, yeah. So then we we uh, meet Loki and uh, the we who sit above in the shadow, um, which yeah, kind of jumping forward. That is one thing I actually do quite like about this issue is you know just the visuals of those characters there. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I again I'm not a huge Thor fan, um, but I found it interesting. Obviously, it must have been what was going on in continuity at the time. That, you know, rather than it just being Loki arguing with Odin and, and all, you know, those kind of characters, these were kind of like, I don't know, what, like the, the secret cabal of Asgardian gods or something? And... Yeah, they're like the gods' gods, as far as I can tell. I mean, I yeah. don't know. I don't know much about Thor comics. I can't say I'm a particular fan either. Um... I mean, what I found interesting is the fact that they used Loki as, you know, this is... Which, like, obviously it goes back to, like, the, the very first Avengers, where it's just like, okay, we need a reason for these characters to team up. Oh, Loki, who's, you know, the trickster god. That's a good reason. Yeah. Uh, that, that seems to be, like, the biggest shortcut um, that you could take, you know, in the same way that, you know, like, during the early 2000s, you had Nick Fury coming in going, I've got a mission to send you guys on, and, and away we go. Yeah. The... Loki uh, doing stuff for shits and giggles. That seems like a yeah a fair a fair re- reason to start a comic. Yes, <laughs> with with a bunch of characters. Yeah, so he is. They're saying that he can't. Uh, he needs to do something good for somebody. That's yes. right, isn't it? Yeah, to prove yeah. that he's worthy. Prove that he's worthy. Again, why Loki is particularly bothered by being worthy. Uh, yeah. It's something to do with, I don't know. Reasons. Yeah. I think he wants a favour off them, but they won't do it until he's proven himself. Okay. Sure. I mean, it's, 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 yeah. It's, yeah. It's a reason to get people together and, you know, team up. um, And then, yeah, uh, we then cut back to Puck and (laughs) Nightcrawler, who has clearly packed his uh, pilot's hat. (laughs) Yep. Just in case there's an opportunity for him to fly, or he's borrowed Puck's pilot hat, which I thought was very gentlemanly. Yeah, so he's the only one who's dressed up for the occasion. Everybody else is just wearing their normal stuff. Yeah, um, but Nightcrawler has decided to to dress up as a pilot to fly. Well, could this? I mean, again, I forget whereabouts it takes place in like X Men continuity. Doesn't he have like that hologram doohickey, which makes him, you know, look normal and human? So perhaps. The hat doesn't exist. It's just you know he's just like oh I know I'll use this thing to give myself a fancy pilot's hat. Maybe it seems like a bizarre abuse of power though. Any more bizarre than actually packing a pilot's hat <laughs> <laughs> just in case? Yeah. Um... Teleport. So maybe he did just teleport all the way back to the mansion to get that hat. Maybe. It, it, I mean, I'm sure this is important. So his, his hat seems to have some sort of bird logo on the front of it. I don't know what that means. Just, uh, yeah. <laughs> let's, let's, let's. Okay. So he, him and Puck are flying the plane, which Puck has apparently stolen off somebody. And yep. it's a knackered old plane. Why they couldn't have used Alpha Flight's um, 
aeroplane or the blackbird. I'm not sure. They they reference the fact that the blackbird's too small, apparently. Although, based to scale? Yeah. I mean, that's questionable. Um, why they didn't use Alpha Flight's transport? Maybe Chris Claremont can be bothered to research it? Maybe. <laughs> um, that's possible. Or just but, team building. Team building exercise. Let's steal a plane. Yeah, and also on the the I mean the outside drawing of the plane has like five windows down the side, but the inside drawing has seats going down as if it's like a a, a seven four seven or something. It's massive inside. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, sorry, I'm just picking at something that's probably really difficult to find reference for, and I apologise to the artists. Paul Smith. Yes. It's not his best work. Um. I think I think him and Bob Wojcik do a good job here. I think the colorist lets them down. Oh, okay. But um, yes, let's crack on. All right, we'll come back to that. Um, so yeah, like you know, obviously time for for chats and and bonding and you know Rachel Summers to feel guilty and uh, you know uh, have lots of mental conversations about you know how you know. Meeting her daddy and all of that. Lots of references to daddy. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Not not weird at all. Uh, <laughs> um, um, yeah, so lo- lots of talking on the plane, um, and then we find out that Rogue in the amazing '80s outfit, which I've got to say is my favourite Rogue's costume. <laughs> it's 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 you know flash dance, but you know, a re- there's a reason for her costume as well, based on her power set. Um, yeah. Uh, and North Star, they have their own little bonding. Yes. Uh, well, because she kissed him. When they had that big fight, she kissed him, and she took on... She saw his past through his brain, so she knows that he's gay, even though it's not meant. It's not mentioned explicitly, but she knows. Yeah. So she's trying to um, convince him that his, everything is all right. His secrets! Yeah. I've seen his secrets. So, yeah, um... Anyway, they, they they kind of go, oh, look, there's this piece of grass which, handily, you've been chewing on, Rogue, because you're a sudden bell. Um, and that's what sudden <laughs> bells do. Yeah. And Northstar, um, being, a, you know, obviously a, a, a local to these whereabouts, knows exactly that that grass doesn't grow this time of year in this area. So, again, off they go. Um, and Puck and Captain Nightcrawler follow, um, and they land, and then they see this magical castle place, which looks a lot like the sketch that one of the passengers does in the scene, the the architect slash archaeologist, or yeah, whatever his hyphenate is. Um, Which, again, yeah, looks very Asgardian as well. You know, it it feels like a a very kind of, yeah, Jack Cave-esque idea of uh, where Norse gods would live. Um, and then, yeah, we are <laughs> introduced to Scott Summers, but Scott Summers with his actual eyeballs, not <laughs> blasting people. Um, and yeah, Scott and Professor X have a, have a touching moment where, with actual touching. Yes. Um, yeah, so again, everybody's like, well, well how has this happened? And in order to kind of fill up the remaining page count, they're very vague about details and uh, the kind of oh, come with us. And then we are introduced to loads of really, really tall people who we find out, if it's not obvious already, were the characters 
on the plane in the opening scene. Yes. Um, but kind of upgraded, I guess. Yeah. Uh, so, and they've each been given a character, like a personality-specific superpower, which we learn as we go through the rest of the comic. And yeah, and I'm get, I'm hoping some of issue two, which I haven't read, because yeah. 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 Okay. Um, and then, yeah, so Madeline, um, and Professor X have a touching heart to heart. And then, you know, just in a casual way to demonstrate, she cures, in, in inverted commas, uh, Puck's dwarfism. Yes. Which was a, a weird note, to be honest, again, but there we go. Um, and unfortunately, poor Puck, uh, due to his costume, must be getting some sort of super wedgy as he grows to... That's going to be very uncomfortable. I mean, you know, it's going to put pressure not only on the groin area, but on the shoulder area. But thank yeah. it does kind of split right down the middle. In, you know, uh, so said... <laughs> in component parts, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't thankfully tear at the bottom or the top, which could have been embarrassing for a whole bunch of reasons, thankfully, right down the middle. Um, you know, and again, it feels very 80s fashion way, you know, as well. <laughs> I imagine, you know, people would have been wearing. Think, um, Josh Brolin in the Goonies. <laughs> there you go. That's the kind of outfit. Just without the layers. Also 1985. Yeah. How about that? Good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, what's Madeline calling herself now? She's oh, called, oh Anodyne. Anodyne. <laughs> okay. Um, that's when you've got a new superhero, but you know she's not going to be around for long, so we'll just chuck a name at her. Yeah. Yeah. It, it felt a little lazy, but there we go. Um, and then, yeah, um, she cures again in inverted commas, Sasquatch and, uh, his whole, when he turns and he summons his power, he goes feral and crazy, which was, I think something was, cause it, it kind of references this takes place roundabout. It happened just before we find out that Sasquatch is possessed by Sasquatch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So he takes the angry off of Sasquatch. He takes the crazy off Aurora. Yeah. So, oh, sorry, she. I say he, I mean Chris Claremont. But she, Anodyne, um, brings the two halves of Aurora's personality together. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, um, where, where are we at? Um, yeah. Oh, and then, then um, uh, Shaman, doing a Shaman. He's been caring for uh, Snowbird the whole way here, like nursing her back to health on the plane. Oh yeah. <laughs> and then he's and then he turns around and he's like, oh, I forgot her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How could I possibly have done that? I don't know, shaman. Maybe it's because you've done a shaman. <laughs> is is that is that a is that a thing doing a he shaman? He is the biggest liability in all of comics, oh. and I I really like shaman as a character. Yeah. But nearly everything that goes wrong for everybody is his fault directly. <laughs> wow, and that, that does pay off again in, at the end of this issue as well, so yeah. There we go. Oh, God, yeah. So he, he realises that he's forgotten... He's forgotten his snowbird. patient. He's forgotten his patient on the plane. Um, but also he's a bit suspicious of everything, uh, as that the right-minded characters in this comic get sure. a bit of a sense that maybe not everything's right. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, and then, so, Shaman runs off. Oh, and then uh, Aurora flies back. She says she's not on the plane. So, Logan and um, 
blah, the two Pathfinder. racists. Yeah, Pathfinder who, and the other one. Yeah. Yes. Um, so one is a Pathfinder and one has dominion over the animal kingdom. Uh, Boyd Wilson has dominion. <laughs> What's your superhero name? Boyd Wilson. Um, they So they, they go with Wolverine to track Snowbird. Um, and then um, the the cook lady, she's yep. been given a superpower, which is to make food. Yep, and and, and, and clothes. Clothes. Yes, fine outfits. Um, yeah, replacing some. Well, I quite like the the eighties X Men costumes, but uh, replacing them with yeah yeah generic. I don't know Asgardian extra. Kind of, you know, the background wearing yeah. as Guardian. Yeah. Thor yeah. Dark World characters. Yes. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. yeah. Go on. Uh, I, I've lost where we are. Where are I? Yeah, so they're, they're all reclining. And, uh, you know, Professor X, uh, Scott, and the now eight foot tall Madeline Pryor are reclining on, you know, big fluffy bean bags. Um, and then, yeah, Madeline Pryor offers to, again, Cure Rogue, um, and she does. And to test it out, she decides to kiss North Star again. Gives him a on the face. Yeah, doesn't doesn't quite seem into that. Oh, and then yeah, Professor X drops the bomb. That uh, <laughs> that's a bit of a clanger because if she was trying to hold on to this as a secret, he's just ruined their lives. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, damn it, Professor X. You know, <laughs> think I was non-telepaths. And uh, yeah, there's a lot wrong here. We'll we'll talk. Say what happens. And okay. We'll talk about why it's so wrong. Okay. So yeah, uh, Professor X inadvertently uh, reveals that Madeline Pryor is pregnant because um, he mind scans the two of them, but yeah. he realizes he's mind scanning three of them. Three. So there we go. Um, and then Rachel decides to find that as another reason to get upset because it turns out it's a boy and not a girl. Ha ha! This is not your universe, Rachel Summers, in your flash dance clothes. Yeah, so, uh, but Professor X knew that it was a boy baby. He also knew that Rachel has this massive complex about Scott Summers, and yet he still decided to announce to the entire room that somebody who he doesn't know very well is pregnant. Yeah, yeah. Well, I don't know, hang on, how does, how does this work? Did, did Professor X, because it's Madeline says it's a son, does Professor X, just by mind reading a fetus, know that it's a boy? Probably not, but you'd, you'd think he'd have... Oh, even if, there's this whole bunch even of... Even if he does think it's Rachel, you'd think he'd have a little bit of tact. I mean, I am assuming there's a Tumblr out there, which is Professor X is a dick, because <laughs> he's got form for this. Yeah. You don't need a Tumblr, you need a handful of copies of the X-Men. That's what I'm saying, but you've chopped them all up. I mean, not a handful, like, you know... A supercut like, like of... Issues. Yeah. Professor X being a dick, you know, starting with issue one where he lusts after his only female student. Yeah, fair play. So, yeah, well done, Professor X. Anyway, yeah, Rachel is annoying and goes off and finds more reasons to cry. Yeah. Uh, um, and then um, Shaman sends off uh, Talisman, who is... Is Talisman his daughter? Yes. So he sends her off and, you know, go do womanly things and make things better. Because uh, um, he says that he's not convinced by 
by the place, so he sh- she should go snooping. She should use the opportunity to go and snoop. Yeah, yeah. The uh, the future girl's uh, mental breakdown as a good opportunity to to snoop around. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then yeah, we are shown kind of the uh, the insides of the the tower, um, the magic fountain. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Q. Oh God, what's what's in it? Heather. What's Heather. yeah. She hasn't got a character name yet, is she? No, she's just Heather. She's just Heather at this point, yeah. Um, anyway, she's transformed uh, into, again, eight-foot-tall lady. Um, and she gets a superpower, What's which superpower? is to lead. Oh, yes. and, and She's a super leader. <laughs> yeah, and normal sight. And yeah. the ability to, to see without guns. <laughs> yeah. Um, and okay. Puck is instantly on the back foot because he was like, uh, it doesn't say it here, but obviously he's in love with her and has always, always wanted to be the same height as her, and now he's shorter than her again. <laughs> I did. I forgot about that. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then um, either is this meant to be Sasquatch or one of the characters on the plane starts talking like uh, Colossus? Which is that just catching that's, up? Now? That's what. That is Sasquatch, but he's been given Colossus's Catch word balloon. Oh, man. If I was... I mean, that's pretty much, you know... Isn't it just that and, like, by Rasputin's ghost or something? It's pretty <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, if... No wonder Colossus isn't there. He's probably stormed off. That's, like, his... That's his... That's his thing. He gets two lines earlier on where he, he admits that um, if... If we've got these new superheroes who can clothe the world, feed the world, um, build buildings for the world, then isn't that an excellent dream? Yeah. Uh, and he says, yes, that would be a dream. Yeah. And, yeah, we've got the line from um, Nightcrawler. And this is, like, the, the one bit which I actually kind of think is interesting territory. And I hope, when I do get around to reading issue two, they kind of explore, which is the, you know, oh, think of it, if uh, everybody gets superpowers, then we will no longer be feared and hated. Yeah. Ooh, okay, is is that it? Because it's taken you guys, you know, like 40 plus pages to get to that. If that's the, the kind of the concept of the, the two-part, then, then okay. No, it's not the concept. Oh! That's, just, that's just like an X-Men-ish thing. Damn it, but that would, that would, I mean, I know Grant Morrison kind of did it in JLA, like, in the 90s, where, you know, like, the the climax of one of the stories was, let's give everybody on planet Earth superpowers. That, right. Yeah. But it took that long to, to do that? That's a kind of yes. why, why raise those questions, Chris, if it's not going to pay off? It's just an X-Men question, isn't it? That's <sighs> just what they're, they're constantly asking questions like that to each other. I know, but then why not do that? Why not explore that story? Sorry, I know we're still doing the synopsis. Uh, okay, cut. <laughs> you haven't got very long to go, like two pages. No, no. We, we, we cut to, as you say, Gareth, shaman doing a shaman. Um, In this case, it's not his fault. He doesn't know why everything's gone so totally wrong. He's very What's, confused. He, I, I assume he never knows why things go terribly wrong. <laughs> He's not like, oh, I'm going to do this now. But I still hold him responsible. <laughs> so out of his magic pouch, loads of <laughs> monsters come flying out and uh, attacking him. Yeah. And uh, then uh, Heather, no, it's not Heather, it's uh, Amadine, grabs the pouch, chucks it to 
uh, Aurora and Northstar, and they fly it away so that he can't get to it. Uh, and that make and then the monsters chase after the bag. Yeah, and then da da da, cliffhanger. Shaman might die. Yes, and with him perhaps a dream. <laughs> wow. Thanks. Yeah, I mean you know I think you should now properly credit Chris Claremont for that. <laughs> with that line, yes, I was just reading it directly off the comic, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's that's part one. It's a it's a long issue. It is a lot of issue, yeah. Um, and not that much happens in it, no. maybe. And, um, I mean, does issue two pick up quite a bit then? Or? Yeah, loads happens in issue two. Oh, for God's sake, then pace it better. Why? I mean, firstly, it's a two-issue miniseries. I mean, were those popular back in 1985? I don't think so. I think this is them experimenting with it. Okay. Um, because in the, in the foreword to the trade, Chris, Chris, Chris Claremont... Mm. Um, says that it was a lot of work. They were all going crazy, um, wondering why they did it. They had a lot of fun, but it was because this was on top of them doing all their normal work as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, chucking out a double size, uh, two double size issues. Yeah, uh, was on top of everything else. So, yeah. Okay, so uh, is it we do things we like? Uh, we could just talk about uh, yeah. The two questions are what do you like, what do you, what don't you like. So. We'll just okay. mix them up. Okay. Well, should we, should we... Gareth, what did you like? What did I like? Yeah. Because um, I, I, I quite like this comic. Um, but uh, I'm having a hard time putting my finger on one particular thing. That, there's lots of little moments I like in it. And there's lots of little things in there which are a bit off. Yeah. Um, I like the fact that even though it's... I like reading non-Alpha Flight Alpha Flight comics. Okay. Because you get a better peek behind the scenes than if you just read the Alpha Flight comics. Because all the the secret the secrets that these characters have have obviously been written down somewhere in a character biography. And so you get little allusions to them which don't have any effect on the story. You just know they're there. So um Shaman's bag going crazy at one point and eating Heather's arm um, is um, uh, foreshadowing something which happens in the comic later on in uh, a few issues time Um, it's got uh, North Star's secrets it's got Sasquatch's secrets it's got all that that, those little stuff that must be written down and all the editors know and are feeding the writers Um, so it's it's the idea of different creators trying to handle this, what I'm guessing, like, the series Bible, then, that's been yeah. written by, like, John Byrne, and other people trying to play with, with those tropes. And... Yeah, and knowing that that is there means yeah. that when you then read the main Alpha Flight books, you know that it's not being made up month on month. You know yeah. that it's it's all down there, and it's just coming out naturally. Yeah. Um, which you don't often, I, I don't often get with other comics, it often feels like they're making it up as they go along. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So, what did you like? Um, I, I don't know. I, I suppose I'm less fussed on this than, than yourself. Mm. Um, <laughs> I, I'm just looking through the pages. Okay, the stuff I really, again, I suppose it is little moments overall that I quite like. Um, I, I, the stuff where, you know, it's hinted at these, you were saying like the Asgardian gods, gods or whatever, that, yeah. I thought that was, 
that was quite a cool little thing. They do look cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and just and just the, the um, not only obviously how it's drawn, but like the relationship with Loki and stuff like that, hinting at something bigger. Um, uh, I did like a little bit of research on this then just before this, and it doesn't yeah. really appear, with the exception of like. Um, the Ragnarok storyline they did as part of Disassembled, which was, yeah, like, what, only about ten years ago? Right. They never really featured those characters again, which seemed like a really, like, wasted opportunity, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. They, they play a bigger, again, they play a bigger part in the next bit of this. Oh, in issue two. Yeah. 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 No, but yeah, no, really, yeah, um, unless, you know, obviously Chris ruins it in issue two. Like, I really quite like that setup. And I was cool. I, I was fine with the idea of you know, Loki's here to fuck shit up. Um, you know, that's that's fine. That's comics, you know. And again, that's been his kind of role in the Marvel universe. Is you know, oh, what would happen if we take A and smash it up against you know D? See what happens. Yeah, and I like the fact that when he he almost literally walks off the page, um, is how he's been drawn on there, like walking off to off panel. But he says, um, I will bring everlasting peace to the earth. And there's something really ominous about the fact that Loki's going to bring peace to the Earth. Yeah. <laughs> like, that stuff I really like. And, and it's just a kind of... Obviously, you know, based on the designs, when they get to, you know... Um, or what do they call it? Like, Fire Mountain, Fire Fountain, or whatever. Yeah. Um, when they get there, um, it's obviously got, like, strong Asgardian designs. But in issue one, I kind of wanted more of the, the Loki stuff. Um, yeah. There we go. Uh, I love Nightcrawler's hat. Obviously, <laughs> obviously, yeah. Uh, no, I, I, I mean, I, I, I didn't start reading the X Men comic in the in the eighties. I was more like very early nineties. But I love the. I, I was always more of an X Men fan than an um, uh, Alpha Flight fa- fan. Yeah. As most teenage. Nearly boys, everyone was, yeah. Yeah, as most teenage boys in the nineties were. Um, but I do, I do love the, the costumes as well. You know, them kind of bringing it back. The uh, including uh, Professor X in the X Men uniform. I mean, <laughs> again, Nightcrawler, how he is dressed. He's dressed in civvies and a pilot's hat. Professor X sitting on the plane. He's dressed in the full X uniform. It's kind of like, uh, you know, if he just worn the suit, I don't think anybody would have minded. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Obviously, he was war- how. Do you know how he was like healed and walking at this point in time? Or? No, I can't remember to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Um, it happened a lot, like yeah. a lot during Claremont's time. Because I've, I've read, it, it was a couple of years ago that I read through most of the run that happens after this, and then he starts losing the ability just because he stops sort of believing that he should walk. Okay. Wow. So he like he mentally trips himself up. Not he mentally trips himself up into literally falling over a lot. Um, but yeah, this yeah we won't worry about Professor X. Okay. But yeah, snazzy duds. Yeah. Um. And also, I, what I appreciate about costuming at this era is that it's still in the buccaneer boots. Yeah. There's still a healthy amount of buccaneer boots. Uh. No, there's no laces on any of these shoes, which is as it should be. I mean, you haven't got time as a superhero to be worrying about whether your laces are done up. Yeah. Oh, actually, I just noticed what? the one person who's got laces is that Pathfinder guy in the green. So we know he's a baddie because he's you got know. bloody laces on his boots. But if anybody should be wearing Buccaneer boots, surely it should be the Pathfinder guy. I mean, I think so. Yeah. Um, things I liked. I like the designs of the, um, you know, the, the souped up upgraded characters. Yeah. Again, it just felt very... 
eighties. Um, like who was doing Thor at this time? Was this uh, Walter? It might have been Walter Simonson. Yeah. It felt very much like that look. Um, and yeah, I mean, yeah, nostalgia-wise, yeah, I, 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 as much as I make fun of Chris Claremont and um, his particular quirks or whatever, um, yeah. I enjoyed reading it. It was good fun. I just, I just felt, yeah, like if this was a regular sized issue and they cut out a lot of the fat. Yeah, I think one of the one of the reasons there's is so much extra in it is that you're dealing. I mean, drawing and writing one team book is bad enough. So I've read interviews with Sal Buscema and he's like, I hate doing the Avengers because I like drawing each of those characters, but not all at once. And you've got to get as many of them into each panel as you possibly can. Yeah. So it's an arse to draw, and um, it's, it must be also an arse to write because everybody has to have a purpose for being there. So they've all got to have at least one thing to do. Well, I mean, or or Shaman just can forget that you're on the plane. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's one way to do it. Um, yeah. No, I I, I I take that on board. But then why do those two pages with Doug Ramsey and Iliana? I mean, I don't get that. Um, it just felt like, you know, they, you could, it, I mean, it's not even like, you know, a vague hint of those characters being linked somehow to the, the thing happening. It's, it's like a, a massive jump. Yes. Um, and then it's, you know, then she teleports back to the mansion and then, but then they're not connect. you know, there's no link between that. It's kind of just like, here's two characters who aren't really part of the X-Men. Who are, who are new mutants and will just fill up two pages. So yeah, yeah it, it was a weird weird choice. Um, and yeah, I, I think I think I'm running out of things to say that I liked about the issue. Um, well, I you sort of mentioned the art being a bit off. Um, I think part of it is it is a bit rushed. Yeah, I wondered about so that. doing this many pages. And the other thing is that, and um, I'm starting to appreciate it more. Uh, with the more comics are in, the more I read about comics, is that um, if you're going to introduce new characters with new costumes, you're just putting extra onto the artist. Yeah. Um, so they've introduced a whole new style. And the architecture stuff, you mentioned it being Kirby-ish. I think it's actually Paul Smith-ish. Okay. Um, it's got lots of, lots of the elements in the designs. You can see it in things like Anodyne's gloves as well. Mm. Um they, I I would consider that Paul Smithish rather than um, anything else. Just see, the... when I saw the credits for this Paul Smith, and then again I I haven't revisited the X Men comics or whatever, but like mm. after Burn, like chronologically now, between Burn and say Sylvester, Paul Smith, I remember being one of the only artists that I was really fussed on. Yeah. After after Burn left. And yeah, I, he did a really strong year run. Yeah. Yeah, but I really liked, and it was a very stripped down style. From, from this is all from memory though, mm-hmm. um, and and I was surprised by then, like the artwork in this, it didn't feel very Paul Smithian. And at first I was like, <laughs> oh, perhaps it's just a another Paul Smith. But uh, yeah, it, it is the Paul Smith. Um, yeah. But it it just did, yeah, it didn't it didn't it felt a little off for Paul Smith's kind of style. Yeah, I think. Is, is it a different inker? Did he work with Bob? So he's working with Bob Wycheck. I don't think he worked with him often. Bob Wycheck was... Um, he helped out on... 
Alpha Flight a bit, I think, if I'm remembering that correctly. I'm sure somebody will be able to remind me. Um, he did. Uh, he's related. He's part of the Alpha Flight family. Maybe later. Maybe maybe not at this time. Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the ink. I think if you look at the inks, they are quite sparse. They're not doing yeah. a lot. But I think the biggest problem, and it's easy to rag on the colorists, especially at these times when production. The production methods were a bit sketchy, but um, a lot of the problem is that with the colorist, I think. Right. Okay. That's my take on it. Um, because th- there's lots of little mistakes. So, for instance, Heather's jumper. Um, it is a canonical jumper. She's worn this jumper in Alpha Flight. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it changes colours through the issue. So it starts off yellow, and then it changes to a pink and white number. And uh, I think later again it changes colour again, if I recall correctly. Let me just make loads of noise into the speaker. Um, so you'd know. say she, so, she couldn't have changed jumper? She could have changed jumper, but it, I don't think she did. I, I think... I mean, um, she was drawn with the same jumper, but coloured with two different jumpers. And then there's lot, there's other little mistakes as well, like one time they cover in Wolverine's legs, um, flesh colour instead of costume colour. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And little bits and pieces like that. So, um, yeah, I think if you saw the raw black and white art of this, mm. it would look much more impressive. Yeah. Than what you've been given with the colour on top. I just, I, you know what? It just felt very like everybody was like. All the characters were like uh, the design stuff. Yeah, I, I actually I had, was was quite impressed with the you know whatever we we call these you know Canadian slash Asgardians. Yeah. Um. I the design stuff was great. It just felt the characters didn't feel like Paul Smith's take on the characters. Um. You know everybody was very cheekbony. You know like some there's some amazingly yeah. contoured faces in this. Um. Yeah. And like Professor X again I. I suppose this was back in the 80s when they were trying to say, you know, perhaps the characters had aged since the 60s rather than remaining pretty much the same age mm-hmm. all the time. But, um, yeah, I mean, all of the characters have some serious cheekbones going on. They do, but um, at the same time, looking at some of the younger characters, you mentioned about the older characters, look at the younger characters, so Rachel and Kitty Pride. Um, they've actually done a good job of making them look like teenagers compared to everybody else, especially Kitty Pride, who often just gets look, who looks like a normal adult, even though she's 14. Yeah. In this, she looks like a teenager who's a bit lost amongst everything else. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a weird one. Again, I don't know whether she pays off in issue two, but she doesn't really do a lot. Uh, right. In in this one, um, beyond, you know, the Rachel's coffee bottle. Yeah. So, Yeah. Uh, anything else you like here? Um, I like the little bits about um, I think Puck comes across quite well in this I think because um, he's a he's a funny character he doesn't always get written properly um, or fully I should say um, but I think they do an okay job here um, what else do I like uh, yeah, it's a tough one. Because it's not that I don't... The bit where... Um, oh, there's a really good bit where um, Sasquatch... He, uh, Rachel comes in, she's fighting all of Alpha Flight, she really quickly dispatches all of them by finding their inherent weakness and exploiting it, like, straight off, like, click, click, click. Yeah. Which is really cool. Yeah. And then um, Sasquatch rips the wall off the side of the hospital 
Um, and he shouts, playtime's over, girly. The kid gloves just came up. You hurt my lady. That makes me mad. And then she goes, if I were a wall furball, I'd be scared stiff. <laughs> it's just get back in your box. <laughs> Yeah, but then Professor X turns up and, um, yeah. Yeah, it takes her to the astral plane yeah. and towers over her in yeah. a yeah. very... Yeah, so let's talk about Professor X again. Professor X is a dick. I mean, <laughs> if it doesn't exist, then, then Gareth, I, I expect you to get on it. Yeah. I've got enough on, but yes. Uh, <laughs> he, he does just, like, take over. Uh, and... Yeah, there's, there is something wrong about him. I'm sure that there's plenty of writers who have probably noticed this and picked it up. But, um, yeah. He's always been a wrong one, though. Ever since Day Dot. Yeah. Yeah, but... <laughs> different, Maybe different times? Can we can we say that? I don't know. It, it, it just feels really weird. Um, but, yeah. I mean, as much as like Rachel Summers in, in this issue is really an annoying character... And you kind of, you kind of. She's bla- sort of Anakin Skywalker, isn't she? Oh yeah, yeah, good. So comparison. in that making them, writing them as a teenager, they've written them as a proper annoying, unsympathetic character. And you know what? She's got the Attack of the Clones hairstyle right there. She has so to, yeah. Good spot. <laughs> <laughs> but then, yeah, even so, Professor X somehow manages to kind of overstep the mark slightly. By, yeah, kind of jumping inside her skull on multiple occasions in this yeah. one issue. And, yeah, either kind of switch her off or, yeah, dress her down um, yeah. by physically being, like, what, 80 foot tall or something. Yeah, and then um, as they go back, come back from the astral plane and you see, like, Professor X's ghost hovering yeah. over his head. Yeah. Uh, and he says, I will not tolerate such behaviour, young lady, ever again. Uh, and it's... Yeah, it just feels a bit dodge. Yeah, it's kind of weird, but um, there we go. And and then, yeah, like, obviously, clearly how he <laughs> kind of manages to, to reveal, which I'm not sure his place, you know? I know him and Scott have been close for a long time, but probably not his place to reveal that, you know, um, uh, Madeleine is pregnant. Yeah. So, yeah, but uh, the healing bit. So, uh, Anodyne goes ahead and heals everybody of of their worries. And I suppose, um, so the first one she goes for is Puck. And she yeah, like control. straight off the bat as well. Um, he And then he does that whole thing where he falls out. Because the reason that he wants to be tall is that he wants the respect of, of Heather. He's not until Heather comes along. He's not that fussed about his size, but he wants to be respected by Heather. Um, and then because of his um, and this, sorry, this is me reading the characters really, really hard. That a lot of this isn't actually in the text, but um, then because of his centre of gravity, he's not used to walking like a tall person. He just immediately falls over onto Heather, which is just really embarrassing. Um, so yeah, oh hello, we've got a bill in the room. Uh, sorry, hang on. Talk to James. Hello, James. Hello, David Schwimmer. <laughs> every time. Every, huh? every time, Bill. Yeah. Yeah. What's going on? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, what do you want? Um, I just want 
just came down. Okay, so uh, I think Bill's just going to sit behind me now while we talk about this. Okay. Um, so Bill, yeah, put a series of funny faces to the back of your dad's head and see if you can make him laugh, just even though he's not looking directly at you. Um, what's made this conversation more awkward is that I've got headphones in, Ooh. and so he, he can't hear you. Oh, wow. That's um, so he's awesome. smiling and nodding, like I'm sure James has said something really nice about me. Um, I don't know, he's walking up again. See ya. I'm doing that. Okay. Um, Puck. That's going to sound really loud. I've just smacked the table. Uh, Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's the second... It's it's the first time he gets healed. He gets healed again in... I say healed in inverted commas. In Alpha Flight. um, Later on through through story means. Um, But yeah, writers other than John Byrne do desperately want to turn Puck tall as part of his so as an interesting food interesting thing to do with the character which yeah. sort of glosses over him as a character it just turns him back into yeah into a one note thing which is oh look he's short whereas there's so we know from his backstory that there's all sorts of things which could have happened to him other than him being short yeah yeah, yeah. but i mean you know lots of comics mainstream comics were pretty you know only surface deep, so yeah, yeah. Well, because um, uh, Alan Moore in Unearthing, I don't know if you've read it or heard it or anything. Yeah. it's an album. I've, I've, I've read it, yeah. Um, but he 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 takes a pop at Stanley there, where um, he um, he's talking about um, superheroes and that they've been two dimensional. And I think the quote is, um, "Yeah, you got a, yeah, you're the god of thunder, but you've got a gammy leg." Yeah. Uh, and it, it's that sort of that approach to giving a character a weakness, which is to give them like a a two dimensional weakness. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, um, what else? Because this is forty seven pages of comic. Um, there's not a lot to talk about um, because again, it's because we can't talk about. We, we could talk about part two. I could tell you what happens in part two, which will make some of the plot decisions in this make more sense and what the angle is. Okay. Um, I so... mean, there's obviously a reference early on to Ursula Le Guin. Um, yeah. And, and thankfully, that is one of the books I have actually read. So there we go. I've uh, not read any Ursula Le Guin. What, oh, what's really? the reference? Uh, it's it's the, the librarian guy, the living yeah. librarian. And the, he uh, the, the baggage handler slash librarian. Yeah, at the beginning. And um, yeah, no, he... he uh, uh, the, the, very basically, it's when, when a, a, a character in uh, the Lathe of Heaven falls asleep and dreams something, um, their dream then affects reality, so reality changes, um, and then that person's exploited to, you know, um, to try change the world for better, but spoilers, it doesn't necessarily work out that way. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I guess Chris Claremont's trying to map that onto, you know, Loki, obviously, then trying to give yeah. people powers or whatever but obviously not having read issue two what i mean what, what does loki actually do then does he give them the specific powers or is he just boosting their natural abilities it's yeah so he's kind of boosting natural abilities but it's at the cost of magic so every time someone takes on a superpower magic gets sucked out of the world so it's not a well which is giving 
that is giving stuff. It's a well which is transferring stuff. So that's why Snowbird gets ill. That's why Shaman's bag goes mental. Uh, that's where all the stuff it's happens. Not like Daniel Day Lewis in There Will Be Blood. He's sucking up all their milkshake. Very much so. Yes. Oh, there you go. That's that's yeah. you know that's where uh, Thomas Paul Thomas Anderson stole it off was from X Men Alpha Flight. <laughs> yeah. That, and, and sorry, spoilers everyone for X Men Alpha Flight number two, um, which came out in 1986. Um, yeah. So you've, you've had you've had time. 32 years. Oh, yeah. Um. All right. I think we have talked about. X-Men Alpha Flight number one. Uh, we, we haven't mentioned the cover, um, which I don't know if you can see it, because you're reading it electronically, aren't you? Yeah, they, they put the, the wraparound version on the second page. So. Yeah. So it's yeah, it's a nice cover. And there's, um, although it does, ha- it does do that comic thing of we see Cyclops in his X-Men uniform. Yeah. Even though he never ever wears his X-Men uniform. So. Oh, really? Oh, I was hoping that would kind of be like a payoff in episode issue two. I don't think so. Oh. Um, yeah. But no, it's it's a nice cover. And yeah. Uh, okay, to, two, be, to be fair, if he wasn't wearing the costume, or if he was wearing the clothes that he was wearing in the issue, and he was bathed in yellow, it's just guy with glasses. Yeah. So, you know, it's I'll tell like, you what else I just noticed. They put Storm on the, on in the little yeah. box. That she's yeah. in it. And it's Mohawk. Exactly, Phil. It's Mohawk Storm. My favourite storm. She's the best storm, Mohawk storm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, doesn't even make an. Does she make an appearance in issue two? I don't think so. Damn it. I think maybe that because then is so some of the characters. So for instance, Magic, who is uh, what's her face? She, uh, Iliana. Iliana. She's yeah. a giant fire sword. She, oh God, this is conversation is difficult. <laughs> Not for me. Not for you, James, no. <laughs> but she is magic. So some of her power, although she's she's mutantly magical. Yep. Um, whereas Storm's power, is it is it magical or is it mutantly magical? Or is it just mutiny? I thought it was just mutiny. Was it ever um, magic I don't know. Oh. I'm just thinking maybe not asking that question is a reason why Claremont didn't include her. Unless, unless this was... Because at one point she lost her power, didn't she? Storm, yeah. Yeah, so maybe this was then. Again, I think she's lost her power on more than one occasion. There was the time where she died, and then she came back as, like, a little girl. Yeah. Or, no, it wasn't that. There was one point when she lost her power, and it's because she had to use her storm uh, her storm powers in a really extreme way. Same way that Banshee lost his powers for a while. I mean, that was his sore throat, wasn't it? Yes, it was an extreme sore throat. So this is a, a windy sore throat. So are you saying are you saying maybe that's why Ileana makes like a two page appearance early on? Because... And then and then they decide to write it out because it's too complicated. Yeah, that's my guess. Just not enough room on that plane from the outside, but on the inside there would have been plenty of room. Yeah, or because oh, <clears throat> she should have been able to magic her way into the realm, but she wouldn't have been able to because it negates magic. Yeah. Oh, can I mention one thing? I forgot that I did like, but I. I haven't got a clue what it meant. I just loved, and it doesn't really make sense beyond the fact that it, it is just kind of creepy, when Heather gets his arm stuck in the bag. Yeah. That's just creepy. Yeah, it's pretty it's pretty horrible. Does that pay off later on in Alpha Flight Down? Or? Um, so, um, 
where this is placed before the events depicted in Alpha Flight number 25. So I assume that in reality, Alpha Flight 26 or maybe even 27 was coming out around the t- that time. Yeah. And during those um, issues, um, the bag gets turned inside out. Ooh. And so the, the, the idea of it being a pocket dimension... Um, Felix the Cat's bag. Sorry? Kind of like Felix the Cat's bag. Very much like that, yeah. Yeah. Yes. But it, when it gets turned inside out, everything goes wrong, and it takes the Beyonder to come along and, and fix it. Ooh. All right. Uh, as part of Secret Wars 2. Oh. Um, sorry, Bill's doing sort of weird acrobatic stuff. So he's making odd noises, which will be picked up by the microphone. Okay. Uh, I just want to put them into context, and not that I'm, like, sticking Hit- with pins or anything. Or hitting yourself. Or hitting him, yeah. Controversial. I wouldn't hit you, would I, Bill? <laughs> He's nodding. <laughs> Don't ask that question, Gary. You might not like the answer. No, I know. But I can just edit it out. It's fine. <laughs> uh, uh, right. So, yeah, I think we've talked about that enough. That's fine. Yeah. That's good. So, um, thank you very much, James. If anybody would like to... Have you got anything to plug? I think you've got some stuff coming up, have you? Uh, yeah, cool. Uh, yeah, so I'm... James Plum of Mad Science Films, uh, my fourth, yeah, fourth feature film, uh, Little Monster, is about to be released. We've got a couple of screenings. Um, when, when's this being released, Gareth? Is this being released like on next- Tuesday? So uh, people will have a couple of mo- a month and a half, I think, before the first screening. Yeah, yeah, cool. Okay, so um, yeah, we're being we're having a screening in Cardiff at the. Tram Shared Cinema, which is a cool little indie cinema. So that's our first screening on the 11th of November 2018. Um, tickets will probably be on sale in the next couple of weeks. Um, but easiest thing is just to kind of follow me on Mad Science Films on your Twitters and your Facebooks, uh, and I'll drop all deets on there. But um, no, thank you, Gareth, for the opportunity to pimp. No, that's good. And Little Monster, I haven't seen the film, but I have read the novella it's based on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I wrote a novella uh, a few years ago um, when I decided to give up filmmaking (laughs) and then got back into filmmaking and a couple of people I worked with said, oh yeah, you know that novella, you should really try to turn it into a film. So, So we did. Uh, and then yeah, I'm 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 happy with the the finished film as well. Um, and yeah, hopefully, will be as much of a gut punch as people have credited the novella with being. So yeah, good. Yeah. good. So uh, yeah, and I'm going to try and get down for that if I can. Yeah, uh, depending yeah. on how things fall. Um, in my news, so um, as a recording, Thought Bubble is happening in Leeds. I'm not there, but two comics which I. That's, I'm not there either because you're not there. Yeah, I'm boycotting. Boycott thought bubble. Everybody who's not there is not there because specifically you're... because I'm not. Yeah, fuck um, Warren <laughs> But I do have two working two comics there. So um, <gasps> Doug Noble's Jazz Creepers has a short story by me called White Rabbits in, which is uh, horrendous and horrific. And uh, when my wife, I didn't let Amy read it. Intentionally until... so. Yeah, intentionally so. Um, uh, I didn't... Normally, when I make something, I put it in front of Amy to see what she thinks, but I knew that she would dislike this. So um, I avoided her seeing it until it came out in print. And then she asked, what's wrong with me? And 
Why why couldn't she have married a bank manager? That's nice. Fantastic. I mean, that is got the the cover. Yeah. Um, it's only a four-page thing. Uh, it was fun to do. Uh, and then I've, I'm also in Fraser Geesin's Comisk anthology, which is an Ikea-based comic anthology. And I've just got a one-page comic in there, which is about pieces of furniture in my house. You know what? There's not enough Ikea-based fiction. Um, it's good, actually. Um, I've, I've read the PDF. Um, Fraser's done like, a 13-page strip in there about... Um, that him and well, not him but a character analogue of him and his wife um, take a wrong turn like here and go into like a horror dimension but they're still treating it as if it's a shopping experience it's good it's, it's, uh, there, there, is, there is um there was a book a few years ago as, as well called Horror Store with various umlauts and stuff on there which was okay. like a Ikea themed horror novel um, which was quite cool but uh, I'm intrigued. I, I I feel like I've seen your pages. Have you sent me your pages then, or from that? I don't think so. Oh, okay. Um, I've shared one picture from white, uh, one page from White Rabbits on social media. Yeah. Oh, um, I, thought I thought I'd seen some of the IKEA baseball. May you would have seen a panel. I mean, there's only five panels in it. Yeah. And it's literally just drawings of furniture in my house with That's... a short description of it. So. Uh-huh. Um. Where can I buy that, Gareth? So you can get, they will be going, so Jazz Creepers will be up on um, strip-for-me.com, maybe a big cartel, but yeah, if you look for Douglas Noble, uh, who's previous guest and also host of uh, the Gravity Equation podcast, which um, we had, which we guested on on Alpha Podfight, Uh, and then Fraser Geeson. Um, also of Mindless Ones and Science Podcast if you look for him on the internet then you can get copies and I'll have a few comp copies as well so um, yeah so there's that and also um, this time next week um, my piece for the Lakes Comic Art Festival's Window Trail will be up Um, you're doing it again I'm doing it again we are I'm working this this is the fifth year no fourth year running so it's Wainwright, Slate... No, Wainwright... I'm not going by business, I'm going by theme. So, Wainwright, Killer Mockingbird, Slate Ditko. Last year I did Batman Adventures, and this year I'm doing a thing about Ypres, the place. So, uh, yeah, but that, that will be a nine-panel comic, but each panel is an A3 page, and that will be on display in uh, Slate again, which is in the heart of Kendall. It's a lovely little cocktail bar. And uh, that'll be up for a month or so. Um, so if you're in Kendall, go and have a look for it. Otherwise, you'll just have to put it with photographs. What's going on? Bill's <laughs> <laughs> just like gesturing towards his face for no reason whatsoever. It's just like a, a gremlin in the room. Like <laughs> it's exactly <laughs> like a gremlin in the room. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah, I think that's all I've got to plug for the moment. Um, hopefully by the end of the year I'll have another comic out uh, because Petrichor's not coming out until next year. Um, uh, so yeah, I'd like so to get What's happening with that? Um, so it's not officially announced yet, but I'll do it on here for for you and the, the 70-odd people who listen. Uh, good comics. Some listeners. Yeah, good comics are going to put it out. Um, who are a micro-publisher who do, who've done like lots of autobiographical things. Um, so yeah, they'll be putting that next year, but it's not—it's not been announced anywhere yet. But that's yeah. 
Excellent. Cool. Well done, dude. Thanks. Um, no, I, yeah. lo- I really love that one, mate. I was, um, it feels wrong saying I loved it in terms of like, yeah, how brutal and raw it was, but yeah. I, I enjoyed being put through the ringer. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Anyway, so now we've talked about us a bit. Oh, what everyone else should do is once they've listened to us do this, they should um, tell a friend about Alpha Pod Flight because of how good it is and also give it a five-star rating on iTunes because that really helps. And if you don't have friends, tell a stranger. Yeah, just tell a stranger in the, in the street. On the bus. Um, not that I advocate this, but if you just find a comic creator who you really like on the internet, then just send them links to this over and over and over again till they block you on Twitter. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so... Wait, are you endorsing doxing? That's not doxing. Doxing no. would be if you put, if you like, <laughs> if you put in it, put the address of this podcast in an envelope, uh-huh. and then wrote their address on the envelope, and then took a picture of the envelope. That would be doxing. <laughs> is it? Yeah. I've been using doxing all wrong. No, doxing is sharing someone's uh, personal details. Oh, okay, all right. I just mean good old-fashioned trolling then. Oh, this would be trolling. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I advocate trolling, obviously. Yeah. Unless it's directly towards your children, which I do on a daily basis. <laughs> of course I do. Of course, sorry, Bill's, Bill's surprised about that trolling. I've been calling you and Martha <laughs> Professor yeah. Drongo and Dr. Ding Dong all weekend. <laughs> I'm Professor Drongo. <laughs> Remember, everybody, it's not bullying if it's your own children. It's not bullying if they really enjoy it. Um <laughs> Martha really hates it, so I've had to stop. Uh-huh. Um, she does not like being called Dr. Ding Dong. <laughs> um, the other one, Dr. Um, Ding Dong, and... Professor Drongo. Uh, Professor Drongo. <laughs> but Bill's taken to Prof- Professor Drongo in a, in a healthy, in I a mean, healthy way. Professor Martha, I mean, why is the male uh, the, you know, the superior out of those two? <laughs> well, I mean, yeah. What's quite I'm nice is that... No, I know, and it wasn't on purpose. But what's quite nice in the in fiction Professor Drongo world is if I accidentally call him Doctor Drongo, he's like, I am Professor Drongo. <laughs> Rightly so, yes. Yeah, patients <laughs> are important. Yeah. yeah. And well done to Bill for getting his professorship at the age of nine. Uh, eight. Eight. James says, well done. Well done, Professor. He's nine very soon. However, I do think you need to look at your, you know, like your awarding committee to see why Martha is still just a doctor, Dr. Ding Dong. True. Um, right. Yeah. I should go. <laughs> Bill is becoming increasingly annoying. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I think it's this, there's things like the, Amy always says it's my fault that they act up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, you have nicknames, offensive nicknames, so... Yeah. Maybe if I'd been called Doctor or Professor as a child, I'd have made something with my life instead of just talking to people about comics over the phone. I I have no problem with the Doctor or the Professor part. I think it's the Ding Dong and Drongo issue that Amy might might have picked up. Probably, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Okay. Anyway, on that, we'll leave this episode of Alpha Pod Flight um, with everybody thinking I'm an excellent father <laughs> and wonderful human being. Um, thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join us again. And a, self- and a selfless lover. 
<laughs> I'm a very selfish. L O V R. Bill's literally resting his head against me. <laughs> That's good. Um, bye. Bye bye. Hey, Garrett. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So, what was the controversy? <laughs> <laughs> so.